going to welcome all of you to the service here this morning, as well as visitors. It's good to have every one of you here this morning, and I have also appreciated the service so far very much. I've already been edified and encouraged and challenged, and and uh, it's good to be here. So I uh, just want to thought I'd make a comment to the message you had, uh, Mark. I I uh, I know for myself it's good to be encouraged to to be a person like that. And my mind went to, this is quite a few years ago one time, you talked about the city being a difficult place to praise the Lord, and you also made a remark about the weather there. And I happen to remember, quite a few years ago, I was down in Philadelphia at a pier dock one time, uh, produce pickup, and it was a rainy day. I remember it was pouring down rain, and it was the city, so it was not a good situation to be praising the Lord. And I was there on the dock somewhere, and there was jacks flying past, and hustle and bustling like there is in those docks. And I remember a dark-skinned man walk up to me and he said, Hey, we're going to have a little worship service over here. Won't you come join us? And he funneled me right into it. And the next thing I knew, I was, I was there. There was, there was everything happening around us. And I'm standing in a circle with about a half a dozen dark-skinned men. And uh, he said, Everybody hold hands. And boy, one of them started singing. And as we started singing, everybody takes a step forward and lift their hands up like this and then back. And I mean, this was just quiet, the singing going on. And everything is happening around us. And, and I just... How did this happen? <laughs> Here I am. And this was a dark, rainy day in a big city with a lot of noise and a lot of things happening. I don't remember all the details of it. I remember there was a few let out in prayer. I don't remember if I did or not. But uh, they were a happy bunch. And uh, obviously, they love the Lord. Now I realize with praise needs to come a sincere heart out of love for God and all of that. But uh, I'm not... No use I try to judge that. Those men were... They were thankful to God and they were praising the Lord. So that was one thing that I remembered that stuck with me for quite some time. All right. Why don't we, uh, let's stand for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning that you are our eternal God and that you sit on your throne in your rightful place where you deserve to be. And Lord, I thank you that Even though, as we heard this morning, we are created in the image of God, in your likeness, yet we are fallen mankind without hope outside of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we look at you this morning and want to give you all the respect and honor and glory due to your holy name and respond to you like we ought. And thank you, Lord, for the precious blood of Christ this morning that we can worship you with a clear heart. Father, we owe you all the praise that you deserve when we consider what you've done for us. And Lord, I just pray this morning that you would take my feeble little attempts to somehow utter a few words this morning to describe who you are. And Lord, I know the weakness and tendency of my own flesh is to stumble with my words and not know how to communicate what I want to communicate, but I pray this morning that you would take my feeble attempts and bless them by your Spirit, and I pray that your anointing would be upon each one of our lives, upon this service, upon the words that are spoken, that they would be spirit and they would be life, and you would bless them to our hearts this morning. I pray that you would sober us this morning. Lord, 
Just all the reality of a holy God that we are gathered together to worship. Father, we commit our lives to You and pray that Your presence could truly be sensed, and I believe it is here in this place. So, Father, we thank You for this opportunity and look to You in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I have chosen this morning, and I felt it was God, what God placed upon my heart, at least God gave me a burden for it, to speak this morning about the fear of God. And I guess I'd like to raise the question here in the beginning this morning and ask us all the question, do you fear God? Do you and I this morning fear God? Another question we could ask this morning is, what does it mean to fear God? What do you think of when you think of the fear of God? I, I imagine our minds could go to numerous different places when we think of the fear of God. There's a verse in the Bible that says, Don't envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of God all the day long. Fear God. Well, if we're going to fear God, this morning I would like us to ask the question, what is God like? What is God like when we think of the fear of God? And this morning I'd like to have a number of different introductory thoughts here as we go along, but eventually I would like to somehow just bump the tip of the iceberg a bit, a bit if I can, to somehow give us an idea what God is like. Now, that's a big, big, huge subject that I feel very, very small to do. But with the Word of God this morning, I would like for us to consider a bit what God is like if we're going to learn to fear God. You know, we as human beings, we fear a lot of things, don't we? We fear a lot of things. Some of us probably fear we have our fears. Some of us struggle with fearing things more than others. Some of us maybe fear. And, and, and this morning, maybe we ought to first at least talk about a little bit. What do I mean when I talk about fear? Am I talking about the fear, the terror, the dread? Mostly what I'm referring to this morning is having a holy respect. A holy respect for God, for who He is. Or a reverence that motivates a carefulness in our lives. And, you know, some of us, we think and we hold our reputation pretty high. Maybe it's our reputation. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's habits. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's family. Maybe it could be a lot of things. But this morning, I would like for us to just answer the question and have that question going on through our minds. Do we fear God? And this burden came somewhat out of a number of weeks ago. A brother and I were talking and just sharing about numerous things and sharing about the day that we live in. You know, we, 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 we live in interesting times. We live in interesting days. And the comment was made, I don't know if he brought it up first or I did, but it just seems in the generation that we live in, there's a lack of the fear of God. That was where our conversation ended up. And I stuck that in the back of my mind and I thought, yeah, that's right how we need a fear of God. And in my own personal devotion time and studies and a little bit of digging around, I did, you know, the fear of God is a very important element in all of our lives. I really believe it is. And I believe it's a thread that runs through the entire Word of God where God used men or where there was men and women that were obedient to God, men that got serious with God. The whole element of having a right, godly, holy fear of God is there. Proverbs 16:6 6 says, "By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of God, men depart from evil. By the fear of God, men depart from evil. Do you and I really fear God today? Do we fear God for who He is? 
Do we live in the reality of the fear of God? You know, this morning, I would suppose if I just simply asked the question, I already asked it, what does it mean to fear God? You know, I, I would imagine in our nominal Christendom here in America, if we would just go out, you know, outside of our circles or maybe even inner circles and say to people, what, what does it mean to fear of God and what does it mean to respond to the fear of God? I would suppose we would pretty quickly get an answer that, well, fear God means some point in time in your life we get to a place where we consider our lost state and we consider the consequences of rejecting the gospel. We consider going our own way that where that will lead us. And we look over here and we see, oh, God made a way for us to escape. Well, if we really fear God, we're going to turn from all of that 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 that's going to come to me if I keep following my own way. And I'm going to go this way and I'm going to I'm going to accept the gospel. I'm going to accept Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for my sin. And I accept that and I realize that salvation, it's paid in full and I have now been saved. We believe in the assurance of salvation and that's what it means to fear God. Now we somehow we are accepted because when God looks down, he no longer sees my sin over here, but he sees that he sees the righteousness of Christ. Do we believe in that? And surely we would say, yes, we believe in that. And I am thankful for that. I, I am thankful for that. But, you know, this morning, I would have a burden this morning that God has so much more than that. And I believe the whole reality of the fear of God. And maybe I would say it this way. I don't want to be careful. I don't get ahead of myself here. Maybe I'll say this. You know, sin is a dreadful thing. Sin is a dreadful thing. And, you know, sometimes I, I wonder, I wonder sometimes if, you know, I, I, I never heard of the assurance of salvation growing up. I, I just, if I heard of it, I didn't get it. I didn't whatever. And I'm thankful this morning for whenever the reality of the truth of it dawned on me that I can actually know that I'm yielded to Jesus Christ and my life is in his hands and I don't have to live in the fear that when I die, I don't know where I'll go. I'm thankful to God that I have this beautiful thing called the assurance of salvation. What a beautiful thing it is. And I'm thankful for that. But, you know, I grew up in a time in a culture, at least in the circles that I was in and in my home, that the whole assurance thing was actually looked down upon somewhat. And then I came over here one day and realized that I got gloriously saved and I know that I'm going to heaven. And we preach that and we know that. And quite frankly, I appreciate that. But I have to wonder, I have to wonder. And I know we've had messages from Brother John and Earl geared toward more of this, you know, Protestant theology versus Anabaptist theology. But I wonder sometimes if we have been influenced more on this Protestant side of things than we realize and actually, we're not living in the reality of the fear of God like we ought. That's my burden. You have it in a nutshell. And I have to wonder sometimes, how do we view God? How do we view sin? How do we view all those things? You know, we're living in a time, and I don't understand God's dealings with humanity over the years. I don't understand that. Every time I read Acts chapter 5, I'm stunned. I look at that chapter and I say, here we had Ananias and Sapphira. They did it and they were judged. And it was the end. And what does it say right after that account? It said great fear fell on the church. Not just fear. Great fear fell on the church. Sin was judged. And God's going to judge sin. And the church was moved. And I don't understand. Other than it's the love and it's the mercy of God that continues to be 
extended to the church of Jesus Christ today that sin like that isn't getting judged. I mean, if God dealt with mankind in our circles today like He dealt with Ananias and Sapphira, pew could be pretty empty. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you see it differently than me and maybe you need to correct, correct some of my thinking and I don't understand God's dealing with humanity. But you know what? This morning, God doesn't change and God views sin today the same as what He did with Ananias and Sapphira. And I think sometimes because... I guess it's the mercy of God. Like I said, I don't know. God extends His hand of mercy in amazing ways like He didn't there and sin was judged. And I know this was all part of the Acts of the Apostles, the all part of the, the birth of the church. I realize all of that. However, that account is there for us in Scripture today, I believe. So we believe it and we embrace it and realize that God hates sin. And it's by the fear of the Lord this morning that men depart from evil. You know, I would to God. It was talked about the other day. I don't remember who the brother was. But, you know, in, in times of revival, amazing things happen when people recognize that sin is sin and God hates it. I thought of it the other day. I was driving down Route 322 through New Holland and I saw all the, the plain people over here and I saw the tobacco fields. And then I remembered of a time in revival where souls got serious with God and they went out with their plows and they plowed the tobacco fields down. And I say, oh, God, wake us up and give us the hatred for sin and that kind of, rev- of a revival. But, you know, I wonder sometimes how much how much we have been affected by by uh, cheap grace is a word we could call it this morning. You know, I believe the fear of God is something that we need more than what we realize. And I'm going to suggest this morning that the fear of God and a holy fear of God is going to be our best remedy today against worldliness in the church. You know, I don't know where there is any of our Anabaptist churches that aren't wrestling and warring against worldliness. It's all about us. You know, things press in, you know. The, the world has its influences and, and we look at that thing and we wrestle against it and we war against it. And I'm going to suggest this morning, you know, churches are grouping for ideas. Just I heard about it just a couple of days ago. A church was trying to decide what to do with with technology, what to do with the Internet. And there was about eight of the ministers walked out and said, we're going this way. And, you know, I'm not about to try to determine what is the right and the wrong response. I got all kind of ideas flooding through my own mind. What is the right and the wrong response to all of these things that are facing the church today. But I do know one thing. We need the fear of God. Do you agree? We need the fear of God. We need a holy dose of the fear of God. And quite frankly, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know that there is much other remedy to keep a church on the right track in the 20th century that we live in than a holy dose of the fear of God. We need the fear of God. And I'm not about to say, well, they should do this thing different or that thing different. You know, it comes to church administration. I'm going to be honest with you. I see different people trying different things. And I say, if it works, praise God, do it. But you know what? I believe if the fear of God is absent, we're on a dead end street. We need a holy dose this morning of the fear of God. A verse, and this is the verse, this is, this is my burden verse, if I would say it this way, is Hebrews 11, verse 7. And I'm going to be referring a good bit this morning to Noah. And I shared that just the other day here. I'm not sure if it was a testimony or Wednesday night or what. I have recently been meditating on Noah and just learning to appreciate more and more what I see with Noah standing out in his wicked generation. He was a righteous man. He was an obedient man. And he was a man that moved in the fear of God. 
And he was a man that obeyed God while all the world was living in wickedness. Noah chose to obey God. And Hebrews 7, Hebrews 11 says it, 7 says it well. It says, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, he moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house in which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Noah had a faith that moved him in the fear of God and he obeyed God and God saved him in his house. And this was in the midst of a crooked, wicked generation that Noah lived in. I really believe it was. And I believe it was Noah's life that proved the sincerity of his faith. Noah moved with fear. Noah lived in an extremely ungodly time. It was a very wicked time that Noah lived in. And I don't know how Noah's time compared with our time. But Noah lived in an extremely wicked time where God judged the world. And here we have righteous Noah. Beautiful example. Noah was warned of God. Noah was warned of God. And Noah moved with fear. Are you warned of God this morning? There is a coming judgment. There is a coming judgment where God is going to judge sin. And Noah knew it. And Noah had an amazing faith. Noah had an amazing fear of God. I think, and this is where I'm going, I think Noah understood God like we need to learn to understand God. Who He is, His character, His nature, God's attributes, which is that's where I have in mind going this morning, so that we can have the kind of understanding this morning that I believe Noah had who God was, who God was. And that's exactly what that word means there when it says Noah moved with fear. Noah had a respect, Noah had a reverence, and Noah had a carefulness about his life. And you know, this morning I believe the church of Jesus Christ needs all of those attributes to be faithful. We we need to have that same kind of a fear of God like Noah had. And we know that God condemned the world. And Noah became the heir of righteousness. Noah's faith made him righteous. Noah, I do not believe, was influenced by the wickedness in his culture. I don't think he was. Noah, I believe, hated it. He lived in a very wicked time. I said it before, but I'd just like to get a little bit practical. You know, I really believe the generation that we live in, the time that we live in, and I believe, like I said, I believe it's God's extended hand of mercy. I believe it is His goodness. I believe it is His long-suffering I believe it's all of those things why God allows us to live in a time like we are and God is not judging sin. You know, is it not amazing? A hundred and twenty years, I believe it was, Noah was a preacher of righteousness to that generation. Noah stood over here and they stood over there. And I think it was, an, uh, you know, I, I, I think sometimes a hundred and twenty years of shipbuilding, of Noah keeping on course. And I think Noah did that I think Noah understood God, and I think it was also, even though there was a pending judgment, even though judgment was coming, it was coming 100 years, 120 years later, and I believe it was God's mercy that allowed Noah to be that preacher of righteousness. I believe it had to do with the righteousness of God giving those people 120 years a chance to respond to the salvation that God provided. And over here we have Noah preaching for 120 years while these people were toying around in their wickedness and their sin. And you know, here we are today. We're living in the time and we know what's coming. 
You know, anybody that has any sense and understanding of the word of God can open the newspaper and look at it here and they can open their Bible here and look at it. And we know what's coming. In fact, you can just pull it out of your pocket and do a little doodling and you can get the same news, the same picture and look at the word of God. And we know what's coming. We really do. And I believe it's God's mercy. But here we are. We're living in a time of God's mercy. And, you know, it's so easy to toy around with sin. It is so easy to toy around with sin. It is so easy to let the wickedness of our day to influence us. And, you know, I don't believe for a moment. I I don't know what all Noah's tests were those 120 years, but I believe Noah stood clearly over here and he believed God and he believed what was coming and he knew the wickedness of man was going to be destroyed. And I believe he kept his course. But, you know, today it's so easy to get in here in the middle where the waters get murky and miry. And lose our fear of God. This morning, that's the burden that I have. That we would have the holy fear of God because who, of who He is. It's easy to toy around with the world and get by. It's easy to toy around with the world's musics. The world's attire. The world's fads. The fun things that the world does. It's so easy to toy after those things. And let those things slowly start numbing us. And they numb us and they numb us and they numb us. And we move from over here slowly over here. And as we're moving over here, we begin losing the fear of God. I don't think Noah did that. I really don't think he did. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God was looking for a righteous man and he found Noah. And you know, this morning, what do you think Noah's life looked like? If Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, let's just do a little imagining here this morning. What do you think Noah's life looked like? What do you think the What do you think the tests and the temptations were like in that wicked day? Now, I know that was a day back there and that was in the old world and we don't know what it was like. We don't, we don't know what it was like. We don't know we don't know what the battles were. We don't know what the wickedness of that day was like. We know what the wickedness is like today. We know what the temptations are like today. We know of the tests and the struggles to go after those things that the world has, the wickedness of mankind. You know, the more I go through my Christian life, and I hope this never changes, the closer we get to God, the more I hope we learn to hate and detest those things. But we know the flesh doesn't work that way. The flesh has a gravitation toward it. But, you know, this morning when I see Noah, I don't think Noah. Can any of you for a moment picture? Let's just suppose. Let's just suppose that in that wicked day, the the, the fads were like they are today. The fads were whatever for uh, what do you call those things? A little soul patch down here. uh, Some kind of a cool flat top haircut. uh, You know, a cool car. you know what you know what I mean. We know what I mean when I say a cool car. You know, let's let's tend it all out. Let's get it the right collar. Let's lay the seat back. Let's crank our tunes. Can you, for a moment, picture Noah somehow in that kind of a setting and God coming and saying, "Noah, you found grace in my Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord." Can you can you for a moment picture that? You know, this morning we need to be those that find grace in the eyes of the Lord and remove ourselves. And I think it's going to be the fear of God that will do that. It's the fear of God. We need a holy dose this morning of the fear of God. Now, I'm going to be referring to Genesis a good bit. Genesis 6. 
Okay, right there it is. Genesis 6, 8 and 9. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. Can we have anything less than that and make it? Hmm? I'm going to suggest that's what we need. He was a perfect man. Now, you know what I mean when I say perfect. I'm not talking about total perfection. But I think Noah's heart was at the right place. And Noah walked with God. And that's what I'm going to suggest we have today. You know, my wife said some time ago, she was at, a, she was at the library. And she walked past a plain man that we knew too well. And here he is sitting in a computer. And his computer, computer screen, screen was pathetic. There he was, a righteous man. A righteous man. A plain man in our community. The other day I was leaving the library and I met him going in. What a shame. That's the day that we live in. That's the day that we live in. How are we going to respond to it? You know, this morning we need a healthy, a healthy dose of the fear of God. This morning I would like to somehow, I'm speaking figuratively now, put glasses on our head called the fear of God. We need the fear. We need to look at life through the fear of God. That's what I'd like to do this morning. That's where I'm going. And I believe it's greatly lacking in our day. You know, I don't know what it is. And maybe I'm wrong. Most of you know that in my youth, I was far from a godly person. I was not following Jesus Christ. I was not at a good place. I wouldn't say I was a flat-out rebel to my parents. I had a decent, half-decent relationship with my parents. But I was far from a godly man. But you know... I think I can say this, that there was something I had, even though I was like that, that I see young people in the church today lacking, and that is the fear of God. I had a fear of God. I remember, I remember the day, his first name was Mose, I forget his last name, he came to visit me because I had a radio. I was in the, I was in the, I was in the Horning Church back there and things were not well with me, and I remember him coming to visit me. And I remember... A fear that gripped me. Now, granted, you have to understand, my theology was not all right. I, 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 I was thinking that I had to somehow be living up to the expectations of the church. And somehow through all that, I was going to be okay. My theology was all wrong. But I want to tell you something. I had a fear. I had a fear of God. And that Sunday morning, when I was asked to go into the Andy room, most of you are not going to understand what the Andy room is, but that was the Andy room back there in the Horning Church where the preachers met. I was asked to go back there in the Andy room and meet with all those preachers. And I went in there and I had something. It's called the fear of God. I wasn't right. I wasn't right with God. And I stood up and made a confession and all that stuff was, un, was not right. But I do believe I had the fear of God. Now I'm over here. We believe in the assurance of salvation. We believe in all those things. But I'm not convinced that we're not lacking something. I'm not convinced that we're not lacking something this morning. We need a, whole, we need a healthy dose this morning of the fear of God. If we're going to fear God... This morning, I would like for us to consider some things that we should understand about God. We live in a, in a day and a time where our, in our minds, it's very easy to reduce God to something a whole lot less than what He really is. You know, God is God. And God is a holy God. And that's not going to change. That is not going to change. I, I, for myself, am convinced the way Noah looked at God had everything to do with what he, with what Saul Noah threw 
from the beginning to the end of his salvation. How Noah looked at God. This morning, I, I, this is where I want to go. I want to consider a number of different attributes about who God is. And like I said, it's only touching the tip of the iceberg. I'm sure many of you could think of a lot of other attributes about God that could motivate us. But this morning, I would look, look at a number of different attributes about God. And I'm, not, I'm going to actually, I want to end at this one, but I'd like to just start number one here this morning to consider one of his attributes. And it's probably the one that comes to us First and foremost, when we think about God, and that is His holiness. God is a holy God. The very angels, the seraphims and all that were there worshiping Him in Isaiah 6, I think it is, were crying, Holy, holy, holy. And I found it interesting, there's 30 sometimes, or maybe just 30 times, in just the book of Isaiah alone, that He is referred to as the Holy One. That is God. God is holy. And he's 100% untainted with sin. That is God. God is a holy God. God is a holy God. And you know, God is totally unworthy of us looking at him with any kind of skepticism because God is 100% holy. He's 100% righteous in all that he does. That is God. He is an eternal God. And I believe in Noah's day, I believe when God related... To Noah, Noah related to God. I believe God, I believe Noah knew that God was a holy God and related to him and such. And I believe out of that he was moved with the fear of God. God is a holy God this morning. Another attribute of God is that he is eternal. God is eternal. God always was. You know, it is hard for us to fathom what God is like. God is eternal. He was there in the beginning. In the beginning, God created. Uh, Deuteronomy 33:27 says, "The eternal God is our refuge." Uh, Psalms 103:17 says, "But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon all them that fear Him, and His righteousness unto children's children." You know, it's hard for us to wrap our finite man- minds around who God is, but God is eternal. God always was. God always will be. That is our eternal God. And I believe that day when God came and spoke to Noah, that day when Noah was sobered, I believe he knew that this is eternal God speaking to me. This is eternal God speaking to me, giving instructions. When God, speak to us, when God speaks to us today through his word, I think it's important that we understand this is eternal God speaking to us. He is eternal Another thing I'd like to consider this morning with God is that God is immutable. God is, he is not changing or able to change. He's fixed. God is who he says he is. God is a holy God. And that will never change. God is immutable. Uh, Malachi 3, 6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. James 1.17 says, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, no shadow of turning. God will never change. God is immutable. God is the same yesterday. God is the same today. And God is the same forever. You know, I had to think. Most of you children, I think, will, will, uh, will uh, agree with me that you know what it's like 
to try just a little bit to change your parents' mind. Does that ever work to children? They say, parents say, I don't want you doing this or that, and you just kind of test the waters a little bit. Maybe there's a little bit of flexibility here with dad. Does that happen? Maybe there's a little bit of flexibility here. I think all of the children would recognize that 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 is the way it is. You know, sometimes you can, when there's some instruction given, you try to test the waters a little bit, see if there's a little bit of flexibility here. You know, it's not that way with God. God and his word is forever settled. And, you know, somehow through time, when we're not living in the reality of the fear of God, it's very easy to begin changing our conviction, moving this way a little bit. And I'm not saying we should never change our conviction. I'm not saying that I believe there is a right and proper way to realize and and adjust our convictions and make changes with maybe some of our standards in our home and some direction and those kind of things. I don't totally disagree with that. I believe there's time to do that with carefulness in the fear of God. I believe there is. I believe there is. But God doesn't change. With whom is no variableness, no shadow of turning. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Hebrews 2, why don't you turn there? Hebrews 2 and verse 1 through 3. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word of God, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Every sin and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, and God hasn't changed his mind this morning. And how shall we, is a question for us to consider, how shall we this morning escape if we neglect so great a salvation, and truly it is this morning so great a salvation that is offered to us. And you know, think about Noah. 120 years. God gave him the instructions. You know, it is amazing. God gave Noah those instructions to build that magnificent ship. And 120 years, I don't know. It almost indicates in Scripture that, that God came and spoke to Noah. And then 120 years or however many years later it was when he was told to enter the ark. What kind of communication did God actually have with Noah during that amount of time? Or did God give... Noah, the instructions to build that boat, and for 120 years, Noah went based on what God's Word said. And I had to wonder how many times may Noah had been tempted to compromise on the instruction that God gave him. Do you suppose he was ever tempted to compromise? I suppose he was. He was told the pitch to use, the lumber to use. He was told all the dimensions. And he started in one tremendously big project of building this boat. And there he was for years and years and years. Do you think maybe he understood that God is not immutable? He's not going to change? How many times may he have been tempted to just compromise a little bit? And you know, it's an amazing thing. Talk about Noah's faith. I, I, I just, this is, this is uh, interesting to me. 
it says, okay, I'm back in Genesis chapter 6 now. You can turn there if you want. But as it winds down to the end of the chapter, chapter 6, God gave Noah these instructions to build this ship. And then it says in verse 22, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. He obeyed. He obeyed and did what God told him to do for all those years as he was a preacher of righteousness. And may I suggest to us this morning, according to the word of God, that that is what it was that proved the sincerity of his faith. And that's what it was after that job was done that God told him the next step. And that's in chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Noah, Come, come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. After God gave Noah those instructions of what to do, he says, come, come, enter into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. You know, it was the sincerity of his faith and the understanding that God is not changing his mind. This is the instruction that God gave me. God is not changing his mind. And you know what? This morning, I love it. I love it. Our baptisms, I love it when I see Brother John or whoever it is going down into the water with a soul. Ready to be baptized. And I I appreciate the question so much. Do you love the Lord Jesus? Yes, I love it. Do you love the Lord Jesus with your whole heart, mind and strength? Yes, I love the Lord with my whole heart, mind and strength. Do you hate the world? Yes, I hate the world. That's the question that he often asks. And I say, praise the Lord. But you know how easy is it to come up out of those waters? I am going to serve God. I'm going to serve God all my life. I am going to hate the world. But you know, we go through life. We go through life. Well, is this the world? Ah, just a little bit. Ah, my friends are doing it. Ah, yeah, I know the music is a little bit over this way, but my friends are doing it. And we began living in the fear of that. We begin respecting that and a coolness comes over our hearts and lives. And after a while, we're no longer living in the fear of God and we've done compromised. Is that easy to do today? It is very easy to do today. That's why I'm going to suggest to us this morning we need a healthy dose of the fear of God. The same fear of God that Noah had that kept him faithful for all those years. And because of that faithfulness, he was invited to enter into the ark. And I want to be careful here. Some of you may challenge me. It sounds like we're going down the road of a works salvation. Well, maybe it, maybe it is, and maybe I'm a little out of balance, and maybe I stand to be corrected. But this morning, I would like to make an appeal to us all that there is a genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and a commitment to that faith and a following of the Word of God and a love for Jesus Christ and a hatred for the world that will carry us through. You know, the Bible says we should make our calling an election sure. And it talks about making our calling election sure. In fact, just before it says that, it says, if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. And that is the assurance of salvation that I believe in this morning. And the preceding verses to that, it talks about adding to your faith virtue, adding to your faith this, adding to your faith. And you know, it's growing in Christ. It's growing in His likeness. And it's responding to God in faith. And it's hating this world. And it's doing all those things and keep adding those things. And that's part of the making our calling and election sure. And you know, this morning, I don't know the outcome. I do know one thing and we're going to get there. And that is that God is a righteous judge. And God is a just judge. 
And in the end, God is going to judge everything righteously. He's going to judge everything justly. And how God is going to deal with hearts that are panning after the world and be influenced by the world, I have no idea. I have no idea. But I do know just a few weeks ago, there was a young Amish boy just a few miles north of here. Where was his heart at? I don't know. But when it was over, it was over. Oh, this morning I have a burden that we would live in the reality of the fear of God. The next one is God is omnipotent. He is, he is unlimited in His power and His authority. That is God. God is the one in charge and God is all-powerful. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And then he instructs us to go make disciples. I wasn't even going to go to that verse. I don't have it wrote down. But that is a verse in the Bible. God is the Almighty. He says in Genesis 17:1. he says, I believe this is probably speaking to Abraham. I'm not sure. He says, I am the Almighty. Walk before me and be thou perfect. God is the Almighty. I believe that day when God came to Noah and said, Noah, I want you to build an ark, and this is how I want you to build it. And this was one magnificent, huge ship, a huge undertaking, as I said before. I think Noah said, yeah, God, you're the Almighty. You say it, I will do it. And he, there he is for years and years and years building the boat because God is the Almighty. The same God, the same God who at the beginning spoke and everything came into existence... At times today speaks and the earth quakes, the earth trembles, storms, and we see other manifestations of his power. The same God today holds our very existence in the hollow of his hands. The mighty, the mightiest nations are nothing compared to his power. God is the almighty. And you know what? Turn to second Peter three. Turn to second Peter three. God is the almighty. And God spoke and the world came into existence. God did that. He is the Almighty. Today, as I said, He he speaks and the earth trembles and He does all those things. You know, one more time, God is going to speak. And this is what's going to happen. Second uh, uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 10 reads, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things must be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for the and hasting for the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. You know, Almighty God, once again, the day is coming where these things will be fulfilled because He is the Almighty. And this morning, my appeal to you is let's live in the reality of the fear of God. You know, that whole thing with what happened in the great flood was a tremendous manifestation of God's power. And we look at that, and today, the smartest and the most intellectual people, they can't wrap their minds around and even believe it. And I can't, I believe it, but figure it out, no. It's because God is the Almighty. And God, once again, is going to move. Most of the world today doesn't believe it, but we know the reality that God will. Next one is number four is He is omniscient. As in power, so in wisdom, he has no limits. God knows it all. And I think Noah knew that that day when God came to him and gave him the the instructions. I think God, I think Noah knew that. He looked at God and he saw God for who he was and he said, I believe it. God is all wise and, and Noah believed it and knew what was happening. You know, 
just envision, if that would have been me and God would have came to me and started giving me these instructions, he would have got right into the beginning of those instructions and I don't know at what point I would have said, whoa, God, what do you mean? What do you mean? But you know, God knows all things. Noah believed it and the instructions were given. And he did it. And it actually happened. You know, don't you have to wonder, and I know you hear these things before, but don't you have to wonder what the people were actually thinking as Noah was building this Noah started this tremendous undertaking, but Noah believed and he knew that God was right. God was God. God knows all things. And it kept him going. And I can imagine some of the uh, opposition that he probably was facing that day. I imagine if we had anywhere close to the counseling centers that we had today, they probably would have handcuffed him and drug him there. He's a lunatic. You know, can you imagine this man? He needs he needs. Whew. He needs something. Look, he's crazy. But you know, God, Noah believed God. Noah believed God and Noah knew God was right. And it took all those years. It took all those years. He believed in the all-wise, all-knowing God. Why is it this morning that we have such a hard time surrendering our will to all-wise, all-knowing all-powerful, loving God. I see so little. I see so little. I don't know what's around my next corner. I don't know what's around the next bush. God sees it all. And we have the privilege of surrendering and yielding our life to Christ. We do. And that's God. He knows all things. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. That's God. You know, it's an interesting in Matthew 25, 34. You don't need to turn there. It says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I can't wrap my mind around that, but that's God. From the foundation of the world, God knew it. God was there. God knew it. From the foundation of the world, from the very beginning, God knew it. He knew the kingdom age. He knew the age that we're living in today. God knew it all. And in the end, he'll say, come, prepare, come. Uh, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God, God knew it all from the very beginning. Another place he says, this is in Ezekiel eleven five. He says, for I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. Can you wrap your minds around that one? God knows Every one of our thoughts sitting here is what he says. He says every one of them. God knows our thoughts. He knows how I feel about Brother Neil. He knows how I feel about all you brothers. There's nothing hid from God. He knows it all. That's amazing, God. You know, we can hide things from people. We can hide a lot of things from people. We can hide a lot. How foolish to think we can hide things and get by. We're not going to get by. We're not going to get by. We need to learn to live in the fear of God. We need to learn to live in the fear of God. God foresaw everything. You know, the very hairs of our head are numbered. God knows it all. You know, some of us struggle. Some of us struggle with accepting our lot in life. Maybe all kinds of things. We struggle with this. We struggle with we, we struggle accepting things. But you know, God knows it all. And God knows perfectly well what He's doing. That's God. All wise, all knowing God. The next one is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. God is everywhere all the time. Now, for the believer, that ought to give us a tremendous amount of encouragement. 
It does to me. God is everywhere. God is everywhere all the time. Give a tremendous amount of, of, of confidence. It ought to give us confidence. It ought to give us encouragement. If God calls me to the mission field, I'll go. God calls me here, I'll go. God, that's God. He's everywhere all the time. But you know, this morning, if, we're, if our heart is cloudy, if we're not living in the reality of the fear of God, and we know we're not responding correctly to God, we're not responding correctly to our parents, our authorities, or wherever it is, and we know that our heart is foggy, I'm not dumb. That creates a tremendous amount of frustration. And it ought to. But you know, it's God's mercy that we continue to have opportunity. You know, it's interesting to me. I just did, with computers nowadays, you can do all kind of little word studies and concordance and that kind of thing. I punched it in and the Lord said, that's an interesting little study. Throughout the entire scriptures, men that walk with God, men that God used, or women, men that yielded to God and lived lives like that, over and over and over, and God said. And then they went to the next step. And God said. And God said. And you know, God still says today. God still says today, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. God is there. God will be with us. He is everywhere all the time. Psalms 139 would be the scripture for that. Maybe we'll just turn there quickly. A fairly familiar scripture to all of us, but we'll just uh, read it. Psalms 139, 7-11. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from the presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell... Behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. I think I'll just leave off there. But how foolish it is to think that we can get away from God. We can't. God is there. God is there. He is everywhere all the time. The heaven of heavens, as the scripture says, cannot contain him. You know, sometimes young people, especially, I don't want to target young people, but I know what it was like to be a youth myself. Parents go away for a weekend. Now we can live it up. You know, those kind of things. How foolish. How foolish. God is there. God is there. How foolish of us. We think we're deceiving people, and yeah, we are, but you know, we're never, ever, ever going to deceive God. And I think that ought to motivate us to live in the reality this morning of the fear of God. You know, it's like somebody said one time, the real test to whether or not we fear God is how we live and what we do when nobody's looking. When nobody's looking. When nobody's looking. Nobody's there. It's just me. That is when the real test is on. Do I fear God or don't I feel God? You know, I want to be careful what I say here. I believe in accountability. And I believe in the day that we're living in, accountability is healthy. And I think it's healthy for brothers to sit down and look each other in the eye and ask some very important questions. I believe in all that. But I wonder sometimes if we would need as much accountability as we need if we would really learn how to fear God. I don't want to be unrealistic. Maybe I'm being un- a little bit unrealistic by saying that because I know God provided the church. God provided the brotherhood. I know God works through all those kind of things. And I accept that and I believe that. And I appreciate accountability. And you come and ask me many times. I accept that and we need to have more of that. But I believe we need the fear of God even more than we need accountability. And maybe the fear of God will motivate us to accountability. Maybe that would be the right way of looking at it. Do you think Noah had an accountability partner? Maybe he did. Maybe his sons. I think he had righteous sons. 
I think he had sons that were not taken up with the things of the world over there. I think he did. So maybe he did have accountability. I don't know. I, I think of the time here some time ago. I, I stopped at a it's quite some time ago now. I stopped at a restaurant uh, and I got out. And don't you know, I, it just so happened. An old friend that I was with years ago and I had gotten converted and my life totally changed. I didn't meet him for a while, but he's in the church today. I don't know where he's at. And I got out of the truck and I walked around the front and poof. Here he is, standing in front of him, and he takes a cigarette, and he hides it behind his back like this. And we're standing there talking. What a shame. And the smoke is curling up behind him, and I'm talking. <laughs> you poor guy. After a while, he was going to burn his fingers. But nonetheless, that's, 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 that's how we're wired. You know, we hide it from people. How foolish. God sees and knows it all. Don't live in the fear of me. Who am I? But that's our natural response. God is righteous. The next one. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Righteous art thou, O Lord, and righteous are thy judgments. You know, whatever God does is right. And I think we need to learn to embrace that one. We need to learn to believe that one. And I do know that because of sin, we have consequences and we find ourselves sometimes in circumstances due to our own sin or other people's sins. But I think we have to recognize that there is a God over everything. And the things that he allows into our lives are part of his righteousness. And I think it is good for us to remember that God is always righteous in everything that he does. Do you think Noah was ever tempted to feel like a victim? I think he could have been. I grumble. Earl said he grumbled this morning. I'm not sure what it was all about, but uh, it wasn't feeling the best. But he felt grumpy. You know, we feel grumpy because of our circumstances sometimes. And I think Noah, year after week, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, back to that old boat. I don't know if he ever felt that way or not, but I believe he knew that God was righteous and this was his salvation and it kept him at it. I think Noah probably felt many times like he's the only one. You ever feel that way? I'm the only one. I'm the only one that struggles with this thing, whatever this thing is. But you know, God is righteous. And we need to remember that and embrace that. God is righteous. And you know what? God is righteous even in judgment. Think about it. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And it was God, like I said earlier, it was God's mercy that kept giving these people opportunity. But you know what? Even when the rains began to fall and Noah and his family and all those animals were safe in the ark. And I don't know what it was like in those days. I sometimes imagine. I'm going to guess as the floodwaters begin to rise. I'm going to guess as men were running for higher ground. I'm going to guess there was some vehement beating on the door of that ship to get in. I'm going to suggest it was. And I don't know what it was like to be inside there. I can only imagine that Noah heard the screams and the cries for mercy and for help to open the door of that ship. But you know, God was righteous. God was righteous in the fact that I believe those souls had many of opportunity to respond, and they did not, because Noah was a preacher of righteous. God is also a just God, but God is 100% righteous in all that He does. I'm going to keep moving a few more to go over here, yet God is faithful. He is trustworthy. God is faithful. There is no temptation taken you, but such is coming unto man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape. You know, all of us living 
in this life are going to be subject to the temptations that are coming to man. We're, we're going to face it, but God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not suffer us to be tempted. Do we believe that verse? You know, if we come down with a victim mentality, the poor pity for me, you know, just yesterday I heard there was a man that just committed suicide. I don't know if it was yesterday. It was a man that got to the place where he said, I'm done, and he got out of where he was, used some bed sheets, and he hung himself. What a shame. I don't think that, God, that man understood the faithfulness of God. If God gave him some tests and some difficulties in life, I think there would have been grace there for him to endure it. I believe it was. And I think we have to recognize this morning that God is faithful. You know, someone said there is thousands and thousands of promises in the Word of God. Thousands of promises in the Word of God. Tell me, did God ever break one of them? God, think of it. God made thousands. If, if I say some kind of a commitment to you, have reason to doubt because I'm in the flesh. Does this guy really know what he's talking about? Salesman's calling the phone. We doubt it all the time. Is this actually a real promise? Is he going to follow through with this? Is it legit? We don't know because it's mankind. But God is not like that. God is faithful. God is faithful. And we have to understand it this morning. You know, this morning, if we get down and out and we get discouraged and we get in this pull of pain thing, maybe we're not understanding the faithfulness of God. God is a faithful God. God is a faithful God. I'm trying to decide what to skip over. I'm going to take too much time here if I'm not careful. God is faithful. You know, when tests come my way, when tests come your way, I think it's just very important that we get and we understand that one. Sometimes God asks us to do big things. God asks us to do difficult things. God asks, to do, asks us to do things that we'd rather not do. Maybe it's go talk to a brother. Maybe it's go witnessing. Maybe it's go wherever. But God is faithful. God is going to be there. And I think we need to view God as a faithful God because we know this morning that God is a faithful God. And He is to be trusted. And every promise in the Word of God is for us to embrace and believe and practice because God has never, ever broken one promise. Isn't that amazing? That's God. I think a God like that deserves to be feared. I think he does. Respected and reverenced and obeyed. That is God. One other thing here, just maybe make a few comments. God is incomprehensible. At times, difficult to understand. You know, I, I enjoy at times being around some very intellectual people. People a lot smarter than what I am. They know a whole lot more than what I am, what I do. But you know, the smartest person on earth has never really understood God. We can't. We, we just can't. It's amazing. Job says, Canest thou by searching find out God? Canest thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? And we know the answer. Uh, this is a quote, quote from somebody. Paul went far beyond ordinary men in finding things out about God. Even after he had been lifted up to the third heaven and having, thir- having heard things unlawful for him to utter... This is what he said, and it's in Romans 11.33. I didn't write that one down. Romans 11.33. After Paul did and went through all that, verse 33, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches of both wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And I think that's why some of the most wisest intellectual men have a hard time wrapping their minds around the gospel of Jesus Christ and accepting it because they can't figure it out. But this morning, we by faith can embrace it, we can believe it, and we can obey it. And may I suggest to us this morning that 
well, maybe I should just say this yet, thinking about Noah, since that's what we were talking about. You know, I'm sure there was many things about those instructions that God gave to Noah that day. He didn't understand God. He couldn't understand God, but he believed it. He embraced it. He practiced it, and he walked with God. The other one is, is his simplicity. And I think it's only right that we just look at an aspect of that. Even though we look at the aspect of God, yet the most simple can understand and respond by simple believing faith. You know, the gospel really is not complicated. If I'm going to stand here and have to figure out all the word, in fact, I was there for some time, trying to figure the word of God out, and it stunned me. How? But, you know, it's just believing it and responding to it in faith. So simple. And God chose the very simplest of the fishermen of that day to be his followers. Even the simple that will understand and believing the amazing facts of our redemption, while the wise and well-educated have a hard time with so great a salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How simple is that? Oh, that love of God. One more, or just a couple more here. Yet his goodness... God is good, and I had to think of that this morning when, when Brother Mark was talking about reasons to praise God. You know, God is good. God really is good, His goodness. Do we recognize God's goodness this morning? You know, I really believe a healthy, a good healthy dose of optimism is good for all of us. To recognize the good side of life, to recognize the good things that God does for us. You know, I think of that when I think of those men that I told you down there in Philadelphia. I think they, they understood the goodness of God. In fact, let me tell you another story that has to do with the goodness of God. And I, and I really like this one. It was a little bit similar. It's just that this guy was on the other end. It's a fellow that I know. I don't know if any of you know him or not. His name is Tommy. Forget his last name. He's also a truck driver. He recently, he, he's the guy that he, he focuses on the goodness of God. God is good. And he's a positive, energetic uh, kind of a fellow. I enjoy being around him. He was, he was down at some place uh, doing unloading or reloading somewhere. He's a truck driver, and he walked into a trucker's lounge that was full of truck drivers sitting there. I heard the story from my brother. I'm not sure if he was there or if he heard the story, but this is just uh, some scruffy old guys sitting in there, you know, and you just picture the atmosphere. It was a droopy atmosphere. And, and this fellow walked in there, you know, in this atmosphere. And he's, if you would know this, this Tommy, you would understand, and you would, you would grin a little bit. But he walked in there, and, and he just changed the whole atmosphere of that place. He said, boy, he said, God is just so good to us. And he starts talking about the goodness of God and said, I think we ought to just have a time of prayer here and praise the Lord. And he got these old guys to stand up and they formed a circle and they began a prayer meeting. Oh, that was good. You know, I think God needs more people like that. I think God needs more people like that. I thought of that one too when I was thinking of God's goodness. We need to focus on God's goodness because God is a good God. God is a good God. And God gives us, you know, just the fact that we're here today experiencing the grace of God again today. Souls have an opportunity to respond to the call of the gospel, part of his goodness, part of the goodness of God that went those hundred and some years of Noah being a faithful preacher of righteousness. It was part of the goodness of God giving those men the ability and the opportunity to respond. And I'm sure the Amish boy up the road here, I'm sure he experienced many years of the goodness of God, but just like that it was over. And I don't know his condition. And I'm not, I don't know anything there, but I just know just like that it was over. But you know, this morning, here we are. We're experiencing the goodness of God. And like Romans uh, 2, 4 says, knowing not that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Do we fear God this morning? 
You know, there's lots of discouraging things happening. There's a lot of people walking away from the faith. We know that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of those kind of discouraging things happening. But you know, the goodness of God is still there. There are still souls that are choosing to follow Jesus Christ. It's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God. You know, sometimes we face trials. Sometimes we face difficulties. Sometimes we face unpleasant experiences. But how many of us, after we experience that unpleasant experience, whatever it is, we can always, I'm going to suggest, look back and see the goodness of God in the middle of that if we avail ourselves to it. Even Marlon here is shaking his head, and I know he had some very difficult experiences in life, and he can look back on that and see the goodness of God. How different it would be if you wouldn't see the goodness of God in that Marlon. I'm sure God is a good God. His mercy. Just another thing here is His mercy. His mercy. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him. And the righteousness unto children's children. God is a merciful God. I don't think we need to, we need to talk much about that one. But you know this morning, and I alluded to it before, God is a merciful God. God is a good God. God is a merciful God. This morning I think God, we... we, we uh, we ought to live in the reality of the fear of God, just considering the fact that that is part of God. God is a merciful God. The next one is, God is also a just God. Someone said this, perfect justice and perfect mercy are in beautiful harmony. God's mercy and God's justice, if we look at that together, we see beautiful harmony. And I think we can really see that in Noah's day. We see the mercy of God. And we see the mercy of God and we see the mercy of God day after day and year after year. But there there comes a time when God judges righteously because he's a righteous judge and he is a judge and he is and will exercise perfect justice. You know, God is so right in everything he in everything he does. Justice and mercy were evident when God drove sinful man away from the tree of life, thus making it impossible for him to live forever in that sinful state. Can you imagine the mess we would have today if man could have lived forever in that sinful state. It was perfect justice. And we know that sinners who spurn the mercy of God will in time face have to, fa- have to face the justice in eternity. God's love. John 3.16, I said it before, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, there's another verse, John 1. 1 John 4.8 says, For he that loveth knoweth not God, for God is love. Just think about that this morning. God is love. God's love, may I suggest it this way, God's love demands a response from us. God's love really does demand a response from us. Amazing love. God's love. You know, I love my children. I love my children. Maybe I didn't think through this very well, but I love my children and I think my love to my children ought to demand a response from them. Now, they can choose to reject that love. Any one of my children last night could have got up in the night while I was sleeping and walked out and lived in the cold, dark woods and they could have never come back. They could have chose to do that. They could have chose to reject it, or my children can choose to accept what I will provide for them. And I think that's love from my heart because I love my children. Is it any different with God? God loves His children, and His love this morning demands a response. The gospel 
of Jesus Christ and the call of God on our lives demands a response. Do we fear God this morning is the question. Do we fear God? Another aspect of Him, another aspect of God is God actually hates. Did you know that? Six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to Him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imagination, and feet that are swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. God hates sin, and God will always hate sin. God is a righteous judge. I don't think God has the choice because of who God is, His love, His nature, and His character. God God hates sin. God will always hate sin. Someone said it takes a zealous hater of all forms of iniquity to make a good lover of all that is good and righteous and holy. We need to learn to hate sin like God hates sin. That is a right response that God hates sin. We ought to hate sin. Another aspect of God is God this morning, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some, but God this morning is a jealous God. That's something that is part of God, who he is. He is a jealous God, and we could look up scriptures. I'm not going to take time to look at that this morning, but we see all the way, especially through Deuteronomy and Exodus, many, many scriptures of God being a jealous God. And, and through the New Testament this morning, God is a jealous God. And we know that God is a jealous God. And I trust that we will respond to Him and give Him the glory and the worship and the honor and the obedience that's due to Him. God this morning is a jealous God. And back again, we'll go all the way around here and back to the fact of that God is a holy God. God is a holy God. How do we respond to that? And I would like to respond to that by looking at 1 Peter 1. May look at just a little bit more after that, but this is pretty much winding down to look at how do we respond to a God like this. And this is in uh, where did I say First Peter one. First Peter one and verse thirteen. You know, God this morning is a holy God. And he reads, Therefore, gird up the loins of your minds and be sober. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is how we should respond. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But he that which has called you is holy. And we know that and we believe that. I'm sure there wouldn't be any of you this morning that would deny the fact that God is a holy God. He which is, has called you is holy. And then he invites us, he says, So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. For if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. We should pass the time of our sojourning in this life in fear. For as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. But this morning we were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb without spot and without blemish. This morning we were redeemed with that and that calls for a response from us. And I trust that we can respond to a God like that 
And my encouragement to all of us this morning is let's be moved like Noah was moved with the fear of God, a holy God. I think that is how we should respond to that. The Bible says, fear not them which kill. This is Jesus' words. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But after him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in in hell. That's who we should reserve this morning. That's who we should fear this morning. And I'd just like to give us some encouragement here this morning. I, I trust this morning that we will leave here encouraged to learn like Noah to move and live in the reality of the fear of God and not toy around with the sin. I trust and hope that this morning that can be an encouragement to all of us. Let's stand for a closing prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for your love. We thank you this morning that there is hope for us in Christ Jesus. We recognize that. Father, we recognize this morning the many temptations that we face in this life. And I just pray, Lord, that you would bless each one of us in this congregation with a healthy dose of the fear of God that Noah had that would move us to following you and your plan that you have for our lives. Father, we thank you for redeeming us with the precious blood of Jesus. And Father, we choose today to yield and surrender and commit our lives to you. Father, we look to you and just commit the rest of our day to you. In Jesus' name, amen.